Before we begin this evening, is Ansley Pansari here? I don't see her. She just stepped out. Very good. Well, when you see Ansley, Ansley, man, this is so anticlimactic. She's not even here for me to uh, tell her. Ansley's been one of our summer interns with our youth ministry over the past year, and we are grateful for her service. The Lord is calling her to med school in South Carolina, and she will. this will be her last Sunday with us, so when you see her tonight, give her a big hug and thank her for her love and her service to our students and our well, if you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 6 to 16 tonight. You can find that on page 1178 in your pew Bible. And as you're turning, let me remind you, we are continuing our way through 1 Timothy Right, the first of the pastoral epistles, the three letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and to Titus. And both of these men were ministering to congregations in Paul's absence, if you were. And they're letters written to Timothy and to Titus, but also to their congregations. These would be some of the last words that the Apostle Paul would be writing to not only these men, but these churches that he dearly loved. And what we find here in 1 Timothy is Paul's guidance and direction, but it's more than that, about not only how a church should operate, because we do see how a church should operate there, but also Paul's instruction regarding the life of a minister. Last week, if you recall, Pastor Phillips walked us through the first five verses of chapter 4 where Paul warns Timothy. He warns Timothy and us that false doctrine exists and that it's dangerous. And we must not only be aware of its existence, but we must take a firm stand against false teaching and false doctrine. Now, let me remind you that as has been said each week throughout this series that yes, this is a letter written for the leaders in the church. But it's not just for church leadership. It's God's Word and thus applicable for all believers. And as Pastor Phillips even mentioned and pointed out last week that all of us are leading in some sphere in some circle of our lives. And so the message is just as applicable for all of us here tonight. Well, in our passage tonight, the thrust of Paul's message to Timothy is, is one of encouragement and instruction, specifically regarding his character, the character of a minister. But again, it's not just for ministers, for all of us here. And so the question that I want you to ask and think through tonight is, what is required of those who have a desire to have their lives and leadership shaped by the power of the gospel of Christ? For those of us who, whose lives have been transformed, have been impacted by the grace and the mercy 
of Jesus? What is it that is required of us in our leadership as we seek to live out the truth claims of Christ? And I think there's so many ways that we could answer that question. But what I want us to see, and I pray that we will see from our passage tonight, is that gospel-shaped life, a gospel-shaped life, and gospel-shaped leadership requires Holy Spirit-empowered diligence in the life of the believer. A gospel-shaped life and a gospel-shaped leadership requires Holy Spirit-empowered diligence in the life of the believer. Read with me from 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. Hear God's word this evening. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. Would you pray with me? Our Lord Jesus, over the next few minutes, we ask and pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word, that you would empower us to be diligent in these areas as we seek to live out lives that you are calling us to lead. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, perhaps you recall the children's story of the ants and the grasshopper from Aesop's fables, right? The ants that work storing up food all summer long so that when winter comes, they have plenty to eat. And the grasshopper who sits idly by playing his music day in and day out. And when winter comes, the grasshopper goes to the ant and says, hey, can I have some food? I have nothing. And they said, what have you been doing? He said, just playing my beautiful music all summer long. Right. And uh, eventually ends with the ants just walking away. And there's a little moral at the end of the story. There's a time for work and there's a time for play. We teach diligence to our children. We seek to teach it because it's an important part of life. And it's, that's just a cute story that teaches it. But if we're honest about it, we think about diligence. What is it? Diligence. Webster's defines diligence as steady, earnest, 
and energetic effort, devoted and painstaking work, and application to accomplish an undertaking. Diligence, this idea, it's a concept certainly important for children, but crucial for us as well. In fact, diligence plays a vital role in regards to Christian faith and Christian ministry. I want to do something just a little different tonight. What I want us to do is walk us through this passage together. And as I do, I want us to point out and look at several different things. We have, I have eight, eight in total. Don't worry, they're not all that long, I promise. But eight in total aspects of what diligence looks like or should look like in the lives of a pastor, an elder, a deacon, but also for all who are followers of Christ as well. So I encourage you to keep your Bibles open, but let's look together first, diligent. We're called to be diligent learners. Look at verse 6. Paul tells Timothy, he says, If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Paul begins by commending Timothy's teaching, right? The things that were just talked about in verses 1 through 5. He says, Tim, Timothy, a good servant of Christ, speaks up and speaks out against false doctrine. And then he continues, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So Paul here is commending the teaching, but he's encouraging Timothy in his own continual learning as well. That phrase, being trained, is ongoing and active. Paul says, Timothy, yes, keep on teaching, but also keep on learning. Because a good servant and a good pastor and a good preacher is called to teach and they're called to preach but they're also called to be a good student. Paul is saying, immerse yourself in the words of faith. Immerse yourself in good doctrine. Timothy, feed on the word of God. Constantly be growing and learning. Internalize the truth claims of Scripture. Bring God's word to bear on your own heart before you bring it to bear on the lives of others. In order to feed the sheep, Timothy, you must first feed yourself. Perhaps you've heard the old phrase, those who, can't, those who can do and those who cannot teach. I heard an old golf pro tell me that one time. He says, those who can do and those who cannot teach. Now, that may work for golf. I, I, I don't know. Uh, but it doesn't work in ministry. Paul would say, no, you must be a lifelong learner. And it's an encouragement for every minister and church leader, but an encouragement for all of us that as faithful followers of Christ, we're called to be 
diligent, lifelong learners. And so my question for you is, are you a lifelong learner? What practices do you have in place to grow in your knowledge, to grow in your understanding of the truth claims of Scripture? What are the habits and the things that you have in place in your life to ensure that you are continuing to grow and learn? Diligent in being learners. Number two, diligent in avoiding false teaching. Look with me at verse 7. Paul says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Paul is saying, Timothy, avoid false teaching. Some translations of your Bible may even have the phrase old wives' tales. That's not a slam on our older sisters in the faith. It's a slam on false teaching. Paul is acknowledging that there's a lot of bad doctrine. And there's a lot of doctrine that may sound good at first. Or maybe just a little off. Or maybe some teachers out there who are claiming to have higher authority. Maybe than even Paul and the other apostles. Maybe claiming to have some new doctrine. But he's saying, Timothy, it's empty. And it's to be avoided at all costs. Now, let's be honest. Many of us love a good conspiracy theory. Especially if it involves the government, right? You, let's just, we, we love a good conspiracy theory. Uh, I'm guilty myself of being entertained by them. But we also know the power that they have to lead people astray. How much more so when it comes to doctrine and to theology? You say, why is this so important? Because bad theology is dangerous. It hurts. It leads people astray. It's not profitable. It doesn't build up. It's a waste of time, of thought, of energy. It has no value. And Paul says, avoid it, Timothy. Avoid it at all costs. How true for the leadership of the church. Avoid bad teaching. We must be diligent to avoid it. So what about you, friends? Are there any theological doctrines that you are dabbling in that you should avoid? I'm not talking about a general curiosity, but teachings that are leading you ever so slightly away from the truth. Maybe you don't know and you're legit curious about a particular topic or particular stance that someone may have on something. I would encourage you to bring that and to explore that in the light. Come talk to one of our pastors or elders and have a dialogue about it. Number three, must be diligent in spiritual exercise. Look with me at the second half of verse 7 and 8. Paul says, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So after telling Timothy what to avoid, Paul then tells him what to pursue, to actively pursue, namely godliness. And so here he uses this helpful 
metaphor of exercise, to talk about the importance of spiritual exercise. And the verb he uses is gymnasia, which is where we derive the word gymnasium, right? As a young man, Timothy would have known the importance of physical exercise. He would have likewise understood the importance of physical training and exercise for an athlete in the same way that we understand it as well. You look at professional athletes and you look at the amount of time and the amount of energy that they spend practicing over and over and over again, which is what makes them professional. Michael Jordan, who arguably, I'll still argue with you all day that he's one of the best basketball players ever. We, we, can, we can discuss that later. But uh, Jordan said, people didn't believe me when I told them that I practiced harder than I played, but it was true. That's where my comfort zone was created. By the time the game came, all I had to do was react to what my body was already accustomed to doing. Paul's telling Timothy that, listen, physical exercise is valuable. But in the same way that an athlete trains his physical body or her physical body, train your spiritual body, Timothy. Train your spiritual body in the Word and in prayer and the attendance of corporate worship. And read good books and join small groups and, and be a part of Bible studies. Be a lifelong learner. Immerse yourself, Timothy, in the spiritual disciplines so that when difficult situations happen in your marriage, in your families, at work, at school, that you have been training in godliness. It doesn't mean that training in godliness makes these things go away. It's not necessarily a silver bullet or a fix-all. But I do think it makes it easier to walk through them because you're trained in the spiritual disciplines. And look at how he says it. Train yourself. This is not something that someone else can do for you. In the same way that you can't eat healthy and go for a run and me expect to lose weight. It doesn't work that way. I wish it did. That'd be great. Some of you, I would really like that. Like, hey, wow, I'll watch what you do and I wish I could feel the effects of it. That's not how it works. It's the exact same with our spiritual life as well. We're called to be diligent with spiritual exercise. So my question for you is, what does your spiritual training look like? Maybe it's non-existent. Maybe this sounds really, really, really overwhelming. Maybe you could say, I used to be diligent, but I'm off track. Let me encourage you to start again. And it can look like many different things in many different seasons. I understand that, especially if you have small people in your house, sometimes they're not like, they're the terrorists, right? And this is a dictatorship. Like sometimes they're not all that agreeable. And it's terribly hard. But let me encourage you that whatever that could be or whatever that would look like to pursue spiritual exercise 
and spiritual training in your own hearts, in your own lives. Maybe you go, I don't even know where to start. Come talk to us afterwards. We'd love to share with you about how you did that. Maybe even consider looking at the amount of time. When was the last time you sat down and wrote out how long you spend in a week focusing on exercise? How much time do I spend focusing in God's Word and in prayer? Then we get to verse 9 and 10. And I want to say a quick note about this. Verse 9 says this, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Now, opinions vary on whether verse 9 is referring to verse 8 or whether it's referring to verse 10. They're both in God's Word. They're both true. I think it's verse 9, given the context. I could be wrong. And if I am, uh, by God's grace, it is not intentional uh, leading us in that way. But I do think that it's referring to verse 9, that that is the saying he's talking about. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, and it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So it's a quick note about verse 9, and then we get to verse 10. For, the, for to this end we toil and strive. Because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now, this is not a verse advocating for universal atonement. Paul not, is not saying here that every human, human being will or is going to be saved. What he's saying is, as one pastor put it, Paul is talking here about the divine, how the divine mercy of God is universal in its scope and particular in its application. So as we're moving through past verse 10, you get to verse 11, and now we have a series of 10 imperatives, right? 10 things that Paul tells Timothy to do and to pursue. So look with me in verse 12. Moving on to verse 12, number four, diligent in pursuing Christ-like character. Paul says this, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now, we know that Timothy was a young man and possibly had people in his congregation that were older than him, that were more mature. And it's as if Paul is saying, Timothy, practice what you preach. Timothy, live your life in such a manner, both in public and privately, that gives no one a reason to look down upon you. And so he says, Set an example for the believers. Set an example, Timothy, for those, even if they are older, set an example for them. And he does so in specifically in five areas. Look at what they are. Set an example in speech, in what you say, in how you say it. Timothy, there's no crude language Speak with love. Speak with kindness. 
Set an example in conduct. Conduct yourself appropriately. Read the room, as it were. Conduct yourself with honesty and integrity. Set an example, he says, in love. In the way that you love those around you. In a way that you serve them selflessly. Set an example, he says, in faith. In your personal faith. In your personal beliefs. Set an example, he says, number five, in purity. He's calling Timothy. He has sexual purity in mind here. He's calling Timothy to pursue holiness in his thoughts and his actions, in his public actions with female members of his congregation. He says, Timothy, pursue holiness. Now, I've got to be honest, as I was preparing for this sermon, it, it struck me that maybe somehow our elders missed it. Maybe somehow they, they missed something. Because when I stood on that floor and I knelt down and they laid their hands on me and I was ordained as a minister of the gospel, I just in the first one alone set an example in speech. I'm smoked already. I can't do this. I'm not sufficient for this. Maybe Pastor Ken, yes, I can get behind that. I, I love Ken. I get to work with him. But I, I feel the weight of this. Which is why I think Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, but thanks be to God for Christ, always, who always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Brothers and sisters, what is true of a minister of the gospel is true of you as well. And that it is only the power of the Holy Spirit. Does any pastor or leader or any church member, any follower of Christ, able to set an example for the believers. So I'd ask you, what's your application for this one? Well, number one, pray. Pray for your church leaders. Pray for us as your pastors. Pray for your elders and deacons. But secondly, as you hear this list, are there any areas of your life that need special attention? In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Maybe you could ask your spouse, is there an area of your life where you need the Holy Spirit to work and move and grow you? A gospel-centered life and leadership requires diligent pursuit of Christ-like character. Number five, diligent in proclamation of the Word of God. Look at verse 13 with me. 
Paul says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. He's reminding Timothy here to prioritize the Word of God. Timothy, he says, commit to making the Bible central to your gospel ministry. Read it. Preach it. Teach it. Now, maybe that seems silly to you, but sadly, there are many churches all over the world where little to no Bible is taught or read during corporate worship. And I think when that happens, the focus becomes not the message, but the man delivering it. That's why we're blessed here, because all of our pastors seek to keep God's Word, the primary focus, week in and week out, every Lord's Day morning and evening. And perhaps maybe if the Lord would ever call you to another location, you would have to move and you find yourself looking for a church home or you're counseling someone and what to look for in a good church home. One of the questions that you should ask is, is God's word being read and preached and taught? And if not, this is not the place for you. You say, well, I'm not a pastor. What about as a Sunday school teacher? Is God's word primary as a small group leader? Is God's word primary in times of family worship or devotions? We're called to be diligent in the proclamation of the word of God. Number six, we're called to be diligent in promoting our spiritual gifts. Paul says, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now, we don't have time to fully get into this. And it's not altogether clear what that gift was, but we do know that Paul here is encouraging him not to neglect it. Which means that he must use it. He must develop it. It's why he, Paul urges Timothy later in 2 Timothy, if you recall, 2 Timothy, first chapter, Paul says, fan into flame that gift. It's a helpful reminder for us as well, isn't it? For those in leadership to cultivate our gifts, to grow them, to not let them grow stale. And even if you're not an elder or a deacon or have a position of leadership. It's clear from the New Testament that the church is a body with many members and many gifts. So I would ask you, are you utilizing the gifts that God has given you? There's lots of places and ways to serve here. Are you serving in the right spot? I would encourage you to spend some time this summer prayerfully considering where God would have you serve and how he would call you to use your gifts. Number seven, we see verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you may see your progress. And so number seven we see is a diligence in growth. To progress in the faith, Paul says to Timothy. 
Grow in grace. Immerse yourself in the Word of God and spiritual disciplines that you may see your own progress. We're called to grow in grace. And number eight, diligent to protect our life and teaching. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. There's encouragement here for Timothy to keep a watch on his own life, to keep a watch on his teaching and ensure he remains faithful to the Word of God. So friends, let me conclude with this. This list is not meant to scare you. Maybe you hear that list and you go, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Only by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our life do these things happen. And thanks be to God that he does them. But there is a call to be diligent to pursue these areas of growth and grace. It's meant to remind us and encourage us of the call to diligently pursue them. And as a pastor, it's, it's humbling. Remembering and being reminded of the call of God on my life and seeing areas that need to grow in, but not just for pastors, for all of us. Areas that by the mercy and the goodness of God that we are able to grow in. And I think what's interesting about this list is if we approach this list in our own power and our own strength, it's not possible. But only by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's providential we're singing that song in just a moment. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Let's pray now and ask for just that. Lord Jesus, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, as we clearly see from your word the calling to pursue diligence in all these different areas, would you give us even the desire, would you awaken in our hearts the desire to pursue them? Would you reveal areas where we need repentance? Would you reveal areas where we need to grow? And may we not be overwhelmed by a burden that we can't carry on our own, but may, Holy Spirit, you empower us to be diligent in growth and grace. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.